It's Ronaldo! Oh my goodness! You don't save those! Out of this world! Messi! 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 There are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross and Dempsey's denied again. And Donovan has scored. Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA. Certainly through. Oh, it's incredible. You could not write a script like this. For the fourth time, the United States of America are crown champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. From the international stage to right here at home, well, it's the international stage, and it's right here at home. The U.S. men's national team squad for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar has dropped. That is right. We are just a couple weeks away from the World Cup roster. So... Sorry, I don't know what's going on. I got Pay attention to the staff assignments, Keenan. James Burley is got, got, a-hosting. Uh, well, I don't read them. I just assume that, you know, I fathered this podcast. I get to do the intro. But Times I guess, are uh, changing. Times are changing. Bro, you're, you're reminding me I graduate college in like half a year, and that's a scary I mean, realization for I me. I mean, we don't need to be insecure to start the podcast unless, unless, unless that's, how we, that's how the direction we want to go in. I think we're good. I think, I we're, think good. we're good. James I is a-host. Hey, that's on me. That's on me. Hand that's up. on you? Hand up. Hand up. I mean, we got... It's on your camera. Yeah. Hand up. That's on me. All right. All right. Well, we'll let the audience decide. But regardless. Our, our loyal audience. <laughs> regardless of which, it's a big day to be an American. It's a big day to be from any of the 32 nations that are going to be con- competing at the 2022 Qatar World Cup. Well, let's just dive right into it. Keenan, I'll throw this to you. Do you want to read out the names of the goalkeepers who will be wearing the red, white, and blue? As we head to guitar. But first, let's do some intros. I'm James Burley. Before I got rudely cut off introing the uh, segment today, uh, my B host today is uh, Nick and then C host. Is, is he really the C host? I don't know. Is That's he? really funny. I don't know. I just said that because now, now I'm angry at him. I'm D like, host. I'm like Victor Wembiana. I'm everything, baby. You can throw me in the high post. You can throw me as a stretch four. I'm 7'3". I might play point guard. That's how that's how versatile I am when it comes to this thing we like to you call. You can slide podcast. seamlessly into A, B, or C host. It's, and I, and it's effortless. You're the Christian Roldan of this All podcast. Right. You, can you, play don't do any, you don't do anything <laughs> really that you well. You play anywhere on the field. <laughs> like you, you, don't, you don't do great about any of it, but you can I'm, do I'm it. There, I'm you there. can do it. Uh, I'm good, James. Um, big day for all of us. You know, the last time we had a roster announcement for a World Cup that was in 2014. And, I mean, even saying that's scary. I was in seventh grade when I found out who was going to be competing. Only one returning cast member, and that's DeAndre Yedlin, who was the second youngest on that 2014 team. Only second to Julian Green, who has fallen off the face of the earth. But Yedlin is in. We'll get to the roster in a second, but it's it's wild. You know, even when we talked about World Cup qualifying, you know, everything from Gold Cup to actually qualifying, to talking about American players in form at their domestic clubs. Everything was seemingly leading up until yesterday. We got the roster announcement. Twitter was <laughs> Twitter was a war zone. 
and I'm really excited to talk about it with you guys because, let's be honest, of all the FUV guys, I have no problem saying we are the ones most invested when it comes to the national team. It's definitely true. It's not not Michael Hernandez. It's the three of us. <laughs> what I will say about <laughs> rosters is 2014, the big news was Landon Donovan got left off, and now it's crazy to see someone like Gio Reyna, who was literally 12 when that happened, <laughs> and now it's been so long since we've had to go through this this sort he wasn't of thing. Even twelve, maybe eleven. I was two thousand two. I was nine for that World Cup for twenty fourteen. I had I, I have a late birthday. You're right. He wasn't twelve. No, he, no. Sorry, I was no, ten. I have a late you were birthday. Ten. Ten. I have a late birthday. No, he was born November two thousand two. So he's probably he was eleven. He was yeah, 11. eleven. He's eleven. Crazy. Okay. Half that yeah. like pretty much everyone on that team couldn't buy a cigarette back when cigarettes were even 18. Like, that's mm. wild to think about how far the U.S. has come in that time. Well, and, I mean, that's a weird way to benchmark it, but yeah, sure. And the other... <laughs> there, were, there were so many... There were so many, like, roster leaks leading up to this on Twitter from reporters. A lot of them came true, but there were still some shocks on Selection Day. Haji Wright was not somebody that a lot of people yeah. had on their rosters. Um, Christian Roldan... He was part of the – some people were saying he was going to make it, but I think even the fact that there were so many leaks and it still wasn't 100% correct made it uh, uh, an exciting sort of selection process. It was a weird format that they did it in. People could just heckle yeah. Greg from the crowd as they were interviewing him. I, was, I was watching the whole thing, and I'm like, I can't hear them talking over the sound of the audience. Yeah. I'm like, this was a weird forum. It could have just been a tweet like every other country did. Um, but you know, that's just, we like to commercialize things and, and, and make a big spectacle out of everything, which is fine. But let's, let's talk about the three goalkeepers and we're probably going to end up talking about a fourth goalkeeper who isn't there because the three goalkeepers are in order as they are listed on this Bleacher Report post that I'm reading off of Ethan Horvath of Luton Town, Sean Johnson of New York City Football Club and Matt Turner of Arsenal recently of New England Revolution. Some would call that alphabetically, James. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just That just is that is how it is. I'm just saying. Bleacher this, Report. They've chosen to do an alphabetical order. order. Well, that's um, how they announced them, which was like, I, I didn't get through the the goalkeepers went over my head, but then I picked up it was by last name, and then, you know, when we get to the p- positions that really matter, they'd skip over, like, some letter in the alphabet. I'm like, I hate Greg, because I knew that player. Like, I wish they would have done, like, the dramatic reveals at the end, but they didn't. Do they like start with Pulisic, McKenny, Adams? No, no. So they they went. So the best example was probably the midfield because they went Aronson, who was like the shock that everyone was talking about. Yeah. Adams, um, Acosta, and then they went through alphabetically. But anyway, back to the, back to the goalkeeper. Sorry to cut you off, James. No, that's 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 fine because I'm going to throw it right back to you in a second with Horvath, Johnson, and Turner. I don't think anybody was expecting that these were the three. I mean, years years ago, after 2018, I think everybody immediately said, Tim Howard's too old, Brad Guzan's too old, Nick Romando's too old, it's time for a changing of the guard. And immediately the first names that came out were probably Ethan Horvath and Zach Steffen at the time. Maybe like Bill Hamid's name was thrown in there, Sean Johnson was in the fold. I mean, even Tyler Miller got like a Gold Cup call-up. But now that we're seeing Horvath, who's, I think, biggest moment for the U.S., is coming off the bench against Mexico in that Nations League final, Turner you know, turning things around in the Gold Cup and becoming the starter and working that into World Cup qualifying. And then Sean Johnson has kind of just been the de facto third keeper for a while. So, Keenan, how do you feel about these three guys? Yeah, so I think Sean Johnson, in my opinion, was always going to go. 
And in reality, the third goalkeeper isn't going to contribute to much. You know, barring your first one being out for the entire tournament or your backup being out for the entire tournament, he needs somebody to be unfit to the point that they can't compete to, for him to even have a slight role, and that would even still be a backup goalkeeper. So I think Sean Johnson really is just a culture bring. I think Greg is, you know, goalkeeper is a position where he can reward all the good work Sean Johnson has done for the United States men's national team because back in 2014, he was, you know, the young goalkeeper that people thought, you know, might get called up to Brazil, you know, had a was, you know, coming into his prime, let's put prime in quotes, but when he makes that transfer from Chicago Fire to the new expansion of NYCFC, you know, that's in 2015. People are thinking 2018 World Cup, he's looking like the guy to take over the reins for the U.S. in that they don't obviously don't make it. They still play Tim Howard in all these qualifying matches. But Sean Johnson was a consistency for this United States team in terms of goalkeeping, whether it was actually playing or just being in camp. I think Burhalter recognized that and felt comfortable giving away that third goalkeeping position to Sean Johnson, if for nothing else, just to like reward him and let him come with. Because he really has been, I would say at least, at the center of this complete rebranding of the U.S. national team. And I think, you know, Obviously, I don't know what the presence of a guy like Sean Johnson is in the locker room, in the hotels, but he does have that, you know, covering NYCFC for WFUV even, he does have that presence about him. You know, he wears the armband, he won the MLS Cup um, MVP vote. There's something about him that makes players rally around him, and I think he's a, you know, a good unifying force, even if he's not seeing the field. And that's kind of the reason I think Zach Steffen was left out. Because I think you include Stefan, who has a legitimate claim to being number one, who you know lost that position, not because he doesn't play well. Truly, it was because he was injured, and Matt Turner slid in and you know performed the way we expect Matt Turner to perform now. But I think that there could have been controversy in Qatar if both Stefan and Turner are on your roster. And I really think Greg was looking for the path of least resistance. We know that Stefan has been in and out of form at the club level, and I think. Like for like, Turner and Horvath both possess equal to similar abilities shot stopping. We know that's a big question for Stefan. Distribution wise, if you watch, you know, Horvath at Luton Town and, you know, Turner, we don't really get to see him that much at Arsenal. But going back to his days at the New England Revolution, they both distribute in very similar fashions. And I think it simplifies what Greg wants to do in the back by having those two guys there versus, you know, if you go switch between Turner and Stefan the way you're asking your back four to play is completely night and day. So I, I really think that Turner proved himself to be the number one, and I think Greg decided to opt out of controversy, opt out of you know potentially having to play a different style, and chose Horvath over Stefan. And I think Ethan Horvath deserves this position. I really do. I think there was a point when I even considered, before Matt Turner stepped up, I would have taken Horvath over Stefan for my number one, just because... I always thought Stefan is just glorified for no reason. We see his issues with distribution. At the end of the day, Stefan's left off. That's a decision I'm okay with. And I know a lot of people aren't, but I'm okay with that. I'm also okay with it. I think, first of all, it's got to really, really sting for Zach Stefan, a guy who, since the failure in 2018, was... It's a little ASMR for you. Zach Stefan was the guy since really the 2019 Gold Cup. It was his job. And then... You know, some injuries happen in, in, in the 2021 Gold Cup. Matt Turner comes in and plays really well. 
as the U.S. wins the tournament, and then Stefan's injured in some in some qualifiers, and Turner steps in and does a a really excellent job. And for me, I thought it was going to be Turner, Stefan, and then Sean Johnson. I thought Ethan Horvath was going to be the odd man out. I think, like you, Keenan, that Sean Johnson was always going to be on the plane just for that experience, that level-headedness, a guy who's most likely not going to get into a game but is just good for the culture of the camp and what you're trying to achieve in Qatar. But the big thing about Stefan and that people clamor about is his distribution. But is he really good at distribution or is that just something that people like say? Cause I, I just think the bar was so low that every, you know, we saw the way goalkeepers have evolved in the past 10 years from, you know, playing with their feet. And let's be honest, even though Tim Howard scored a Premier League goal with his feet, he was never good at it. Brad Guzan was never heralded at it. So when Zach Stefan and Sean Johnson, you know, his distribution remains to be seen. You know, he's still spotty sometimes for NYCFC, but I think Stefan, you know, he was the first goalkeeper the United States had that was this new style of goalkeeper, this, like, you know, Ederson style, this Neuer style, Ter Stegen even, guys that can play with their feet and don't have to rely on shot-stopping alone to be a force in the game. I think that's why everyone was in love with Stefan because he was, you know, the goalie of the future in terms of future style of soccer. And I think that sort of Man City style, Pep Guardiola style, rubbed off on him a little bit, maybe too much, because... You know, sometimes he, with the ball at his feet, he's super casual. That's led to some embarrassing giveaways and embarrassing, you know, moments for him. It's like he, he approaches playing the ball at his feet like he is Ederson, but he's not Ederson. He does not possess the same technical ability, so that leads to some very awkward moments. But I didn't really think about it from your perspective, Keenan, that he, he didn't take Stefan to avoid controversy. I, I think I assumed it was something not personal, but just if... Just that Zach Steffen hasn't played well enough, and he hasn't showed enough in, in in at Middlesbrough to to be included in this squad compared to somebody like Horvath. But I I, I like your angle that if Turner's going to be the number one, why cause controversy? Because it, that seems like it'd only be a distractor. You you go into the tournament now, you know for certain it's Matt Turner, barring you know some kind of injury. You know Matt Turner's going to be the guy in guitar, and not taking Steffen just kind of everybody's on the same page. I think it Turner is your number one, and that's that's in cement now. But I will say this: um, I don't I don't think that means Ethan Horvath is the backup and Sean Johnson's the number third. I, I I think Johnson has played more recently for the U.S. over over Horvath against uh, against uh, was it Uruguay? And yeah. um, and just to say this: Zach Steffen played under Greg Berhalter at the Columbus Crew. They have a lot of history together. To me. He, he is picking this decision fully based on form, and he for, fully believes that Zach Steffen is the fourth best American keeper right now. And that's, that's a position that you can take. I mean, for me, as far as shot stopping goes, I, I have to say Steffen is probably the second best goalkeeper we have after Matt Turner, just in terms of pure quality. But right now, I understand the decision. But you have to feel for Stefan as a guy who's gone on loan from City to Middlesbrough, or is it a permanent transfer now? I, I mean, it's just it's, on loan it, still. It's still on loan. So like he, he he's in a similar boat to a guy, Ricardo Pepe, that we'll talk about later with the strikers, who to to increase his chances at going to the World Cup, made a big career move going on loan from a bigger club to a smaller club to try to get playing time, and and that has worked out. But they're both uh, going to be on their couches watching the U.S. play in Qatar. So that's. You have to feel for them emotionally, but also, uh, I I I think John, Sean Johnson is gonna is gonna be Bearhalter's backup. I don't think he's gonna be the third keeper. I think what he brings culturally is big as one of three players above the age of thirty on the actual roster. 
But with Matt Turner coming off of an injury, I think it makes no sense to leave Zach Steffen off because you would want to have your keeper that has been with the squad longer, knows is, is more committed to your style of play, even if we're very critical of that style of play. Zach Steffen is Greg's keeper. That was abundantly clear throughout his entire tenure as the men's national team coach. So I, I have to say I don't, I don't agree with leaving him off. I'm okay with it. And, it, and, and if Turner is unfit for the first game, Greg Berhalter is going to have a lot of questions to answer about it. Uh, moving on to the defenders. A couple of surprises here. Let's uh, recap going through the central defenders. Cameron Carter-Vickers, Aaron Long, Tim Ream, and Walker Zimmerman. Keenan, throwing it to you. Well, I think everyone's upset about John Brooks. But, I mean, the writing was on the wall since pretty much day one of the Greg Berhalter era. You know, John Brooks, we've talked about it time and time again. When is he going to get called up? And I think this most recent friendlies in September, you know, their World Cup tune-up, John Brooks being omitted from that camp, you know, sealed his fate of not being included in the World Cup. Do I think it's a right move? No, and I think we've all been pretty vocal. You know, he would have been the only other guy selected from this. He's the only other guy really available that has World Cup experience outside of DeAndre Edlin. Just to speak at who is missing from the squad in the center back position, Eric Palmer Brown and Mark McKenzie were not chosen. They're healthy and available. Chris Richards and Miles Robinson probably would be, if everyone was healthy, They'd Greg Berhalter's starters. Yeah. I, you'd have to think that. But Richards, recent injury with Palace, Robinson, that Achilles going back yeah. to the early summer for Atlanta. So, still on Brooks, I think that he he just didn't, I don't know why, I think the one, we've said it before with Greg Berhalter, is he has guys that he just trusts for some reason, and John Brooks was never that guy. But even still, I think, you know, and we'll get to the outside backs after we get through these center backs, but there's something that he would possess having been there. And I think, you know, the novice of this squad could have relied on a guy like John Brooks. Because as good as DeAndre Yedlin is or was, and, you know, he did play quality minutes, in that 2014 World Cup, John Brooks really cemented himself as like a U.S. men's national team player in that World Cup. I mean, that header versus Ghana alone, everyone still remembers. An iconic moment. Yeah, like one of the best moments. So he knows what it means to play with that emotion and, you know, how to conduct yourself at an international tournament. And I, I just think that that alone should have earned him more merit in Greg's eyes. At the end of the day, he doesn't get selected, so be it. Mark McKenzie out. He didn't look good in their most recent display. I think Greg was trying really hard to find out who his center backs were going to be. And, you know, he gave Eric Palmer Brown and Mark McKenzie time and time again to prove it. They never stepped up. And we're left with, as you said, Tim Ream, who I think deserves it. You know, captaining a Fulham side in the Premier League, playing some of his best soccer. Walker Zimmerman and Aaron Long, the two MLS boys. Everyone knows that I think in an ideal world, you know, in which Richards and Robinson are still injured, those two will probably, if Greg can have them start, he would like to have them start. I think Cameron Carter-Vickers, I think he is, I just don't don't think he's given, you know, Greg a reason not to be selected. He's been average at Celtic this season, you know, got embarrassed in the, you know, European competitions, but... In terms of the Scottish Premiership, he's played well. And, you know, when Palmer Brown and Mark McKenzie aren't 
at that level Greg wants, I think he's comfortable with Carter Vickers. And then the question becomes, who are you going to be your starting two? Because that really sets the tempo for this for this tournament. I think game one, you're gonna. I would see Walker Zimmerman and Tim Ream. I I think playing this you know veteran Wales side, I think he feels more comfortable with Tim Ream, and you know we can get into the Burhalter press conference, you know, explaining his selection when you know Taylor Twelman was asking him like really tough questions, and I applauded. Good Taylor. for him. I applauded Taylor Twelman because I think he's corny, but you know that is a time and the place to do it. Burhalter talked about how much experience Reem has, you know, playing guys in the Premier League and playing, you know, against guys that play the English style or the, you know, Welsh styles, essentially the English style as well. So I think you go Reem and Walker Zimmerman that first game. I do think Aaron Long starts a World Cup match. I think he'll play against England. Will it be a good decision? I don't know. I just don't think Tim Reem is going to have the likes to compete with, you know, that good of a English side for more than 50 minutes. I think these are the correct four center backs based on who's available. And John Brooks has played in two games this year for Benfica. He's not, if form's a factor, he's not in good form. And then you take into account, I, I still am of, am of of the belief that he and Greg Berhalter had some kind of falling out that's not purely based on you know what Greg has said about how he likes is how Brooks doesn't doesn't have enough speed I I think I mean I think that's a a factor but I think there's also something personal there but John Brooks after September he wasn't on the September roster I don't think he was ever making this roster and so he was never he wasn't even I kind of took him off my radar as of as the only center backs I I think that legitimately had a chance when that are healthy right now are Palmer Brown and McKenzie both of which I think are fairly overrated by by this fan base um I don't think they've looked great in 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 their match with the national team and I think these are the correct four I think Carter Vickers has proved himself at Celtic I think Walker Zimmerman's been that guy throughout qualifying and Tim Ream just based on pure form you know we've seen Fulham go up and down so many times and we've seen them come up and we've seen Tim Ream start and kind of get torched a little bit and Fulham get relegated right back down in the championship but this year with this Fulham team, it's different. He's captaining them. He's he's spearheading their defense, and he's playing really, really well against top quality opposition. And you take into account that experience that he has, just being around this team for you know almost a decade, over a decade, and and that's that's priceless. So to me, these are the correct four. Now, who's gonna Aaron Long? Who's gonna start? That's another question. I mean the the. The pairing for Greg seems like it's going to be Zimmerman and Long, but that was before Reem. That was in camps where Reem, you know, wasn't called in. So you have to take that into account. I think Zimmerman and Long for me would probably be the pairing for the opening game. Um, but I think these are four center backs who you could slide one in for another fairly seamlessly. I don't think there's that much of a gap between the four of them. I think they're all at a fairly similar level, and I think we're going to see some mixing and matching at least in the group stage from Greg. But I think as a whole, people kind of overrate our center back group, like just the pool in general when you take into account people like Palmer Brown and people like McKenzie. And I think these are the correct four. Of all the things on this roster, that, that all the decisions that Greg made, the center backs, I was pretty happy with it. I really wanted to see Tim Ream on the roster, and he got rewarded with that. And I think the other 
Long and Zimmerman were always going to be there. And then Carter Vickers has just played well for Celtic. And sure, they got torched in, in European competition, but, you know, so did Rangers. The The Scottish Prem just didn't have that great of a, a time in Europe this year. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see who, who Greg goes with in in that opening game. And it's also, I think, a good question is to, to think about is, does Greg already know who he's going to go with? Or does that first, does that week of training camp even matter at all? I think he probably already knows, and I think it, it's likely going to be Zimmerman and Long. I, Greg is such a, such a, like a calculated approach type guy that I feel like he's got his lineup for each of the three games, you know, barring injury, knock on wood, of course, set, like pretty, pretty uh, far in advance. I definitely think that as far as these four center backs are probably the best four available. I mean, it is what it is. John Brooks, talent-wise, is probably better than all four of these guys in terms of his career pedigree. But I think, given his current club situation, and there's got to be have has to have been something deeper with Bearhalter. He's not going to be here. We know that. We have known that for a while. Uh, I do think it's going to be Zimmerman and Long. It's going to be the primary partnership, and I think it's definitely going to be the partnership against Wales because, you know, up front for Wales. Brennan Johnson, Daniel James, and Gareth Bale. That's a lot of that's a lot of pace. And if there's one thing that exposes Tim Ream, it's the same thing that exposes John Brooks, and it's pace. And Greg has said it time and time again. It's the reason he's kept Ream and Brooks out of camps before. It's that he wants to play with a high line, and he thinks that Ream is going to struggle defending with players in behind him. And I, I, it's, I think it's a valid criticism, but I don't think it should upend the entire way you play and should uh, dictate whether or not you play your best center backs or not. And that's, for me, why I'm okay with Brooks not being here is because Tim Ream and Brooks kind of provide the same function, both as the veteran presence, as the aerial uh, winners, and as, like, sort of the leaders of the back line. I know Walker Zimmerman has taken up that role, but Tim Ream brings the same energy that John Brooks would into this into this uh, fold. So I, while I think it's going to be long and Zimmerman in the first game against Wales, I think Zimmerman and Ream are probably would be the best partnership I would like to see moving forward. I think Ream would probably struggle against England as well, but I think a game like Iran is where is where the U.S. are going to be facing a team that soaks up a lot of pressure, hits us on the counter. It's going to be a similar game to Wales where he could get he could get beat for speed too. So while I think he's one of the two best center backs in this pool uh, right now, I don't think he's going to be going to, going to get a single start really. I think it's going to be Zimmerman Long and they might play 270 minutes in the group stage. Yeah, I, I wanted to, if it's okay, James, to steal your thunder, right to transition to the fullbacks because this ties into my commentary about the center backs too because we know Greg wants to play a high line and the fact of the matter is the current personnel he has can't play to the same effect you know remember when we saw Chris Richards and Walker Zimmerman play a high line against I want to say was it Mexico and Columbia some team in World Cup qualifying where it was the best maybe it was I think it was Costa Rica at home and it was the best I've ever seen a U.S. defense look in terms of you know Richards was able to make up pace in the back you know, and Zimmerman could fill into the slot pretty much seamlessly, you know, when they play that high line. And now that, you know, you're missing two of those guys who you would like to have had in the center of the defense, it's it's really frustrating. You know, I think you're absolutely correct that Reem and Brooks bring the same kind of experience, the only difference really being Brooks playing in the World Cup World before. Cup. before. Um, in similar play style, both lacking pace, both very, like, sentinel center backs. My only problem is, and you know, when we look at these fullbacks too, of Anthony Robinson, Serginio Dusk, Shaq Moore, DeAndre Yedlin, and Joe Scally, how many left backs do we have on of those men I just listed? One. One. 
And it, it's frustrating because we're seeing it now. Greg is refusing to revert his any form of his style for this World Cup based on who's available. You know, Sam Vimes breaks his tibia this past weekend and he's out, and that would have been a nice left-footed left-back to have. And I guess you can't prep for that in Greg's defense, but even still, with the selection he has made, it is very apparent to me that this defense has a lot to prove because I, I don't see those outside backs being able to contain the likes of you know, Dan James even. We're not even going to sniff England because everybody on that English roster could contain. He is so thin, in my opinion, in terms of quality left, quality outside backs and with no ability to be flexible. Going back to what I was saying about those center backs, you know, I realistically could see this team playing three in the back, like three center backs and playing Destin Robinson as, you know, wing backs. I think that would make more sense based on the personnel that we have. And to to echo that, I'll inter- introduce the fullbacks real quick, Nick, and then you can go. I would have preferred to have seen, instead of Shaq Moore, a guy like Reggie Cannon, who even though I'm not a big fan Boom. of at this point, can both play right back and center back and has some experience playing on the left side of defense as well. We are not spoiled for choice for left-footed defenders. That's that's. I think the next best option for left back right now is either Dewan Jones or John Tolkien, yeah. which is not not. I mean, maybe George Bellows. Maybe George Bellows. But either way, either way, I, I understand why Greg has gone for the option of choosing right backs to fill the left back void in Scally and you know Serginho Des. So let me read those fullbacks: Serginho Des, Shaq Moore, Joe Scally, Anthony Robinson, DeAndre Yedlin. Obviously, four. Right backs and one left back, with the with the exception of Scally, being that he plays a lot of left back for his club and probably will have to if Robinson goes down, God forbid, at the World Cup. So, Nick, how do you feel about this? I think Shaq Moore is the one that drew most of the ire from the fans. Yeah, we've also seen Dest play left back sometimes, not really that well, but he's done it. All I'm saying is, Anthony Robinson's ankle better be okay, and it better be put that thing in an iron cast. Yeah, because if he goes down, we're dead. That's it. I don't think that's an overreaction either. I think, sure, you could play Joe Scally or Serginho Dest on the left, but bringing only one left-footed left back to the World Cup is a little egregious in my opinion, but it it's less egregious when you think about the other players that we have in that, in that position. I think Sam Vines had a, had a really solid chance before the, the broken fibia to be on the roster and be the backup left back. Um, but once... That happens. I think it, uh, the depth goes down. You have to go down the the depth chart quite a bit. Um, sure, we James, you and I have seen John Tolkien play so often. We love him, but is he ready for this level? Probably not. It's probably too soon. So I can understand the taking of one left back, but I think if you do that, some more versatility in your left backs. Maybe I think Joe Scally can play left or right. Des can play left or right. But uh, like you not said, well, not well. But they can do it. It would be a sacrifice to 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 put Serginho Dest on the left, and a, and a significant one at that. And it's more so just because you're not getting the most out of him, you know, from playing compared to when he plays on the right. But I think the biggest question mark is Shaq Moore, and I think somebody like Reggie Cannon, who we've seen play on that right side of, of center back in a three, can somebody who's just a little bit more versatile than Shaq Moore, because I don't think Shaq Moore really sees the field in this tournament. I'd say. Based on all the all the players on that roster, I think Yedlin gets on the field before he does. I think if, if something happens at left back, Scally's more quick to fill in than he is. 
I think Shaq Moore is probably the last guy, and I just don't really see the 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 point of of bringing him. Okay, and uh, that's the point I wanted to echo. Shaq Moore, without a doubt, I've liked some of the way he's played for this U.S. team. He scored 20 seconds into that Gold Cup game against Canada. I jumped out of my seat and I cheered for him. I'm not. I don't mean this disrespectfully to him, but he is far and away the 26th man on this team. He does not need to be here. There does not need to be an extra right back. I would be so shocked if he saw a minute of playing time. For me, he's beneath the rest of the four fullbacks in Dest, uh, Scally, Robinson, and Yedlin. I, for me, there's no spot for Shaq Moore, and it's a waste of a roster spot. As far as I'm considered, when you've got guys, and I'll read out some names of guys that are missing right now, Zach Steffen, Ricardo Pepe, Jordan Pifak, Reggie Cannon, Eric Palmer-Brown, Mark McKenzie, Paul Ariola, and John Brooks. And all those guys are healthy. And you're telling me we need an extra extra right back? Again, I don't want to harp on the fact that this is the 26th guy, but it just seems like a waste of a roster spot to me. When you have those three extra, three extra spots like we do for this World Cup, to me it seems like you're wa- you, like you said, James, you're wasting one on Shaq Moore. There's, there's quality midfielders and quality attackers that, that we could have taken that I don't think would affect the defense at all. Because if everything, not even if everything goes to plan, if, if, if it's, just if it's not worst-case scenario, Shaq Moore never sees the field. Like, he's the last guy of all the fullbacks, both on the right side and the left side. I just think taking him, you know, he's not even a guy who's been around for that long, who's got experience, who's... who's been in and out of camps in and out of camps. He hasn't been... You know, a, a consistent presence in 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 U.S. rosters. So I just don't really see the the benefit of taking him at this point. Yeah, I mean, you guys summed it up pretty much. I think when everyone saw Shaq Moore, there was this big question mark. And I think the thing I you know you just touched on Nick, and you know we all know this, but there's no real appeal for me to see Shaq Moore in this because even at his natural position, he's the worst of the ones selected. You can only imagine what he would be if you had to introvert him into a left back, which, you know, won't happen. I'd feel 10 times more secure with Reggie Cannon in this 26-man selection because if you need to, as you guys mentioned, he can play on out right, out wide right. I would feel much more comfortable with him playing as a left back than I would, I would say, anyone not named Joe Scally. So, you know, if you have to switch both fullbacks, I would be comfortable with Cannon or Scally sliding in for Anthony Robinson because of his experience playing as a center back for his club. Shaq Moore, for me, just doesn't possess anything that warrants him being there. And that's, you know, again, as you said, James, not to harp on him, you know, not to kick him while he's down because, you know, a lot of people are asking the same question, but he just doesn't deserve it. It's plain and simple. I mean, uh, he's a guy that I've rooted for before and that I think has had, you know, since he came to Nashville from... Uh, from from the second division in Spain has been uh, has been actually a pretty good introduction to their lineup and, and it helped the team succeed and and reach MLS Cup playoffs. But going going on to the midfielders here, I'm never going to forgive Taylor Twelman for baiting me the way he did when he introduced the midfielder, saying, "There's going to be one that who you'd think would play a different position, but you're going to be excited to see him here." And my brain, my silly brain, thought, "I'm going to trust Taylor Twelman in this moment, and he's going to have Gio Reyna playing in the midfield." Greg Berhalter is finally going to do the right thing. And then the first name that gets announced, like you said, it's alphabetical order, is Brendan Aronson, whom I also love and also think is going to play a huge role in this team. But I, like, I've, never, I've never been angrier at a manager getting so close to arriving at the right decision and then so badly missing the point. Because Brendan Aronson, his strength, and I'll announce, I'll, I'll get to the midfielders in a second because I want to bloviate about this first. Brendan Aronson, what he what he is good at is he plays against the ball. 
He presses. He puts other teams in an uncomfortable position, wins the ball in good areas, and drifts from the wing to the mid midfield or vice versa. That's what you'll get out of him if he plays in the midfield, and that's a good thing. But you'll also get it out of him if he plays on the wing. What you don't get from Gio Reyna on the wing is his ability to get the ball in the middle off the half turn and create, which is our biggest problem in the middle, which is why people are saying that McKenney needs to start on the bench and we need to drop Yunus Musa deeper so he can help build out of the back and then McKenney you know, if he does start, is the one who has the freedom in the attacking third. For me, Gio Reyna should be that guy. It shouldn't be Brendan Aronson. Brendan Aronson will do just as well on the wing as he would in the middle for me. But that that does that from on that point. The midfielders are, as selected by Greg Berhalter, Brendan Aronson, Kellen Acosta, Tyler Adams, Luca De La Torre, Wesson McKinney, Eunice Musa, and Christian Roldan. All right, well, I've said my piece about Brendan Aronson. What I will say is that Tyler Adams, McKinney, Musa, and then I suppose Aronson... Uh, are really going to do the heavy lifting here. I think the the starting three, it's going to be a 6-8-10 or more a 6-8-8 with Adams, McKinney, and Musa in that order. Personally, I'd like to see Adams and one of Musa or McKinney sit deeper underneath a Gio Reyna, but if I know Gio Reyna is not going to be there, so I'd like to see Musa sit deeper with Adams and McKinney have more room to roam in that attacking midfield. That's how I see the U.S. being the most successful in Qatar. My question is, is, do we take anything for that Aronson being listed with the midfielders? Or is that just so that he doesn't end up taking six midfielders and having more controversy than he wants and, you know, taking an additional winger? It could just be a numbers thing, but I mean, we've seen him play that Morocco game. Aronson was playing yeah. in the midfield. He, he balled out. He did well. He played he really very well. well from midfield, and I think it's definitely something on the table, but I'm personally not reading too much into because it. Because I don't think you can start a, your first World Cup game with Brendan Aronson off the pitch. I, I, think think, he, I think they're going to. I know, but I think that's a mistake. I think everyone knows MMA, Musa, McKinney, and Adams is the three that they would like to play. Do I think that they have the creativity to create in a World Cup going forward. That remains to be seen. I think Wesson McKenney needs to kick it up a lot, a notch. You know, we were without Musa for a time because of injury. He is by far and away, at least in my opinion, the best of this midfielding trio in terms of creating going forward. So I think those three are the ones Greg wants to play. And when they've been fit, they've been really fun to watch. And I, I just to get back to this, I, we're going to do our 26-man rosters and our starting 11s personally, but I just... To point back to this, um, you said Brendan Aronson's got to be on the pitch and is a guy I'd like to have. You know, there's, there's not, we're in a good spot in the U.S. soccer history where in the midfield and up front, we have too many talented players to start all of them. And that's a good thing. Yeah. So I, while I don't want to speculate on what my starting 11 is going to be right now, what I will say is this. We could, the U.S. could find themselves in a situation where they start most likely Adams, McKenney, and Musa in the middle, and it's not working out, and then it comes the 60th minute, and then you throw Aronson in the middle, or Reyna, or whomever, or you throw De La Torre in, and by that time, the game has already gotten away from them because we haven't created anything in the middle, and we haven't built out of our own back. That's the that's the problem I foresee with us, starting with Adams, McKenney, and Musa potentially, and that it, we pigeonhole ourselves into uh, an issue, and then when, once we try to rectify it, the game's already gotten away from us, and it's too late. So I think... In the first game, we're going to see Adams, McKenney, and Musa against Wales. And if it doesn't work out, we could find ourselves in a bit of a disaster in that first match day. That's just that's just the way that's the way I see things panning out. Unless we jump out to an early lead against Wales, and then then we can hopefully continue that momentum throughout the ninety minutes. You wanted to talk too about Shaq Moore not warranting a war st- uh, roster spot. Excuse me. If he's twenty six, Roldan's twenty five. Yeah, because probably. I, I'm sorry, 
I he does not deserve this roster spot, plain and simple. I think part of the reason too is you know, and w- when we get to the forwards, I think that's where the meat that's of where our the miss yeah. that's where the guys who, who could be twenty five and twenty six really start to matter. Right. But that being said, rolled on, you know, and this is again going. Uh, we'll get to this, but you know, one of the things I really picked up from Greg talking about Haji Wright being included, but not a guy like Pfock or Pepe. Is he saying, "Oh, Haji Wright's in some of his best form"? Christian Roldan battled injury this year, had four goals and four assists in 21 matches played in the MLS. So don't tell me it's about form. You know, that's a you know, and granted, he didn't play you know the sec- these past couple months because Sounders were Sounders in the MLS. And, you know, you, you can weigh form when you're talking about European guys. But don't tell me it's form that, you know, qualifies a guy to make this team when Christian Roldan, who's battled injury this year, has been, you know, pretty freaking poor for a Seattle Sounders team that is usually pretty good that requires yep. him to be very good. So I think, you know, when you're looking at a guy like Christian Roldan, maybe he's a locker room presence, but he's another guy that's just been in and out of MLS camps, very similar to Shaq Moore. And, you know, it just makes no sense because he's a guy that's going to have no impact on the game, no impact on their tournament whatsoever. You know, it, unless they're already clinched the group somehow by match week, match day three against Iran, then you'll see yeah. Christian Roldan play. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to, we're going to have clinched the group against Wales and England. I don't know. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm saying, but that's the, that's the only instance <laughs> yeah, you would yeah. see Christian right. Roldan right. grace the pitch. So I, it makes no sense to me why he's included. You know, Greg is. And, and two, when you're considering, you know, that's a spot, you know, Paul Areola, I know he plays out wide, but we've seen him play in the midfield before for Greg in, I think, a Gold Cup match earlier this year. But even still, you know, if we want to talk about Aronson sliding in, you know, if you leave Roldan out, you could slide Reyna into the midfield, as we all want to see. And then maybe I don't like Paul Ariola, but Paul Ariola definitely warrants a spot over him because of the form he was in for this U.S. team during you know qualifying. So I think that Roldan being on this roster, and I don't know what to weigh Aronson being selected as a midfielder because in my ideal world that should be Gio Reyna playing the ten. Yeah. So I I think that this midfield is, you know, we talked about this defense needing Anthony Robinson to be healthy in order to be competent. This midfield, in my opinion, completely determines how the U.S. finishes in this World Cup. Because if this midfield can't create going forward, and Greg is not competent with who he's subbing on and when and addressing the issues that this def- that these midf- this midfield is going to probably face against really strong competition in their group, this team could have a very, very tough time getting out of their own defensive third. I just think, if I was a coach... And somebody said to me, you get three extra roster spots. 23 players is not that many. 26, it, is a lot. it helps. You have excess at each you've, position. You have excess at each position. To me, I would take more high-impact players who, are gonna, who I know can impact the game. There's no situation that will arise at this World Cup that will re- require the presence of Christian Roldan, at least on the field. There's nothing that could happen whether we're winning by three goals, losing by three goals in a... In a you know heated one-one tie in the seventy-fifth minute, none of those situations require Christian Roldan. This isn't about him playing in MLS. There's so many MLS players on this squad that I think are good and deserve to be here and and are going to contribute in a major way. It's about the fact that whenever he puts on a U.S. shirt and plays on the field, he doesn't do anything. He's not. He doesn't have a goal in thirty-two caps. 
Don't quote me on this. He doesn't have an assist, or he has one assist. There's, it's something. It's some stat that's crazy. So he minute. might have. He might have an assist on like a deflected ball in behind to Georgi Mihailovic against Panama in 2019 or something like that. But like, for the most part, he's that's been right too. That's a heck he's of a gotten I'm gonna, 32. I'm gonna, I'm gonna Google. <laughs> he's gotten 32 caps. Sure, I'm. I'm sure most of those are off the bench, but still. To me, to continue, even if you're a locker room presence and you're a guy that people like, and I think that's that's why he's here to be a locker room guy. I, you know, Greg's been asked questions in the past year about you know who, who's who's a guy like that, and Christian Roldan is who's somebody who's essential to your your team, and he said Christian Roldan. Um, listen, I get that, but to me, going to the World Cup in Qatar, um, you need 26 weapons, and I think Christian Roldan is a guy who just is not going to have any sort of impact on, on on the field. And to me, it's a waste of a roster spot when, when there's people like Paul Ariola or maybe like Malik Tillman who could make more of an impact on the field. I, I get the whole locker room argument. Just he's never, ever performed in a U.S. shirt. I, I can't remember ever seeing Christian Roldan put on the U.S. shirt and, and then saying at the end of the game, wow, Christian Roldan played well. It's always that he looked out of place and that he looked like he didn't belong. So for him to be on the roster, it's it's a little egregious, but I think the rest of the midfield is is a hundred percent correct. I'm glad Luca De La Torre is going to be fit, or at least that's what that's and that's th- something we need to talk about too. That's such a gamble. It is a gamble that yeah. that because he's sub number one. I think the coming in for someone yeah, that's not no, going this, forward. This is why this is this is why Roldan's a head scratcher. And if he because I'm literally scratching my head as I say that, um, because I'm okay with Roldan being. Guy twenty five twenty six for the vibes in the same way that I'm okay with you know like Shaq Moore being the twenty six guy is not the end of the world. It just doesn't make sense to me that you've gone for the extra position at a position where you're already bringing three other guys. For me, Roldan being the sixth midfielder of six, not including Aronson, Got injuries means, means that if there's an injury, there's a good chance he sees the field. He gets in the squad over Malik Tillman, over James Sands, who can play as a six. That means Acosta free more free to play as an eight if there's an injury. John Luca Busio. Uh, Eric Williamson, who I think is excellent, uh, and probably the guy who I think should have gotten the spot is Georgie Mihailovic, who has been the best American in MLS for the last couple seasons. So for me, I rolled on. I'm okay with him being the 26th guy if it meant we had another midfielder in front of him. But because De La Torre is injured and because we're not sure if the about the efficacy of McKenny Musa and Adams at getting out of our own third and creating chances, meaning that we could see turnover about who plays in the midfield. Roldan should not be here, and there's a chance he, he gets into this into this team if if Bearhalter is reluctant at using Reyna and Aronson in, in central midfield. Imagine going to the World Cup because you're a vibes guy. Imagine making a career off of being. I, I, a, I'm okay with that as long as it doesn't mean it doesn't especially carry the fact over that Luca already game. has a knock. Yeah, that, then that's Roldan's next the man real, up, yeah. which is that's why it's crazy. Yeah, that's why it's bad. If one of your starting midfielders gets injured within also, the first half, you're not going to go as De La Torre, who's coming off an injury, to go play 60 minutes. You're just not. And how bad did De La Torre look in the friendlies against Saudi Arabia and Japan? He looked awful. He looked really bad. And uh, I'm just saying here, Malik Tillman had that excellent solo goal for Rangers last weekend. Eric Williamson has been silently one of the best midfielders in Major League Soccer the past couple seasons, and Christian Roldan has been trending in the other direction and has never been good for the U.S. All right, I'll give you, I'll give him, he played one good game and was off the bench against Jamaica in the Gold Cup. He assisted Matthew Hoppe. There you he go. He put in the cross, and it was actually a lovely cross, if I'm remembering that correctly, but that's a little bit different. That's the 20, oh wait, no, not Matthew. Yes, 2021 Gold Cup, sorry. Yes, that was, that was Christian Roldan on the cross. He has two assists for the U.S. I don't remember the other one. 
But with that, with that said, I, I just don't see how we can look to only bring six true central midfielders and Christian Roldan be a, actually one of them. Because if there was, if Tillman was in this squad and Shaq Moore wasn't, for example, or if Eric Williamson or Mihailovic was and, and uh, Shaq Moore wasn't, then I'd be okay with bringing Roldan because then it says, well, he's not going to play. Whoever had this roster spot that he occupies wasn't going to play anyway, so it doesn't matter that he's there. And it and if he's really that good of a locker room guy, well, then maybe it'll show. But if he's going to get on the pitch, I think the U.S. have bigger issues. With that said, let's move to the forwards. I think this one, we this is where it goes to hell. This is this is both I think Gre- some of Greg's best work and some of his worst ever. Oh, Lord. Here are the names. Christian Pulisic, Jesus Ferreira, Jordan Morris, Gio Reyna, Josh Sargent, Timothy Weah, and Haji Wright. The three strikers, of course, are Ferreira, Sargent, and Haji Wright at the expense of Ricardo Pepe, Jordan Pifak, and Brandon Vasquez, all not in the team. And then the wingers, Pulisic, Morris, I guess Reyna, and Weah at the expense of Areola. Tillman's a guy who can also play on the wing. I mean, I guess really just the big one that's not there is Paul Areola. And for a guy who has been, no one has been selected under Greg more than Paul Ariola. 31. Oh, 31 is, caps under Berhalter. That has got to be a gut punch and a half for him. Coming off of the best season of his MLS career for Dallas, I feel for him, but I understand the decision. And here's what I'll say about the wingers. Pulisic, Reyna, Wea, and Morris. I th- and Aronson. Just put Aronson. And, and, and Aronson is, is probably going to play more winger than he plays in the middle, let's be real. I mean... As far as if you're going to bring five wingers, I think I think those are your best five. Yep. And and while I still think Reyna should be a central midfielder, and I think that would free up a spot for Ariola to be on the plane here, um, I'm okay with it because people are people are saying how does Jordan Morris make it over over Pepe? I don't think Morris takes a spot from no. Pepe here. I think Morris takes a spot from Ariola, and I think it's okay because Ariola did have that big goal against Panama in World Cup qualifying on the final match day or second to last match day, but. Jordan Morris has scored big goals as well. Had that goal at the death against El Salvador in those awful conditions. You know, Gold Cup final winner 2017. Um, led led the team in goals in 2019. I know that was he scored like five against Cuba alone. I know. I know that. I know that's a different scenario. But the fact is, Jordan Morris, even with the not great form he had for Seattle and a Seattle team that missed the playoffs for the first time in their MLS history. Um, I think he br- brings more in the final third than Paul Ariola. I, I know he doesn't have may- maybe the same legs that Ariola does now. He doesn't run up and down as much and doesn't cover much ground, doesn't press as effectively defensively, but he scores more goals and he does better for the national team. So I'm, I'm okay with Morris being the last of the wingers. As for the strikers, I am very, very disappointed that the man who got Greg Berhalter to this World Cup, Ricardo Pepe, is not in the team. He kept him his job. Kept- let's not, that, let's not yeah. forget that. He got he got Greg he kept Greg's job for him. Haji Wright is a player that I've long since wanted to see get integrated into the national team, and I'm so happy for him that he's here. Also, in the form of his life, scored I think eight goals in the Turkish league this year. Yep. He's he's been he's been really good, but I you cannot be at the expense of the guy who got you into the World Cup, especially since there is no certainty that this striker that these three strikers are going to score goals for us. Are you kidding me, Sergeant? Love what he's doing in Norwich. He's actually the only Norwich player to be at the World Cup this year, and I'm very happy for him. And if for me, he would be my starter with these three. Ferreira had a great he, year with Dallas, but like he can't do, he can't get the job done. And Haji Wright, I think, is just a gamble. Yeah, I think, and I'm happy we finally arrived here because I think this is where the most discussion is, especially when we talk about roster spots going to 
you know, guys like Christian Roldan, guys like Shaq Moore. I agree with you saying I think Morris deserves to be in this side. I think very similar to how Sean Johnson was selected. I think there's a little bit of sympathy that goes into that vote, which when it comes at the expense of a guy like Paul Areola, who you know probably had a really strong sense going into this selection that his name would be called, it does sting a bit. But I do think Jordan Morris provides, as James mentioned, you know he plays really well in this U.S. system for whatever reason. I think Greg trusts him a lot more than he trusts Areola, and the fact of the matter is. One, neither of those guys I don't think are going to win you a World Cup game. I'm much more comfortable subbing Jordan Morris on in a 2-1 game in which the U.S. is leading or a 1-0 game in which the United States is leading. You know, I could literally, I could be fine seeing him go play striker in a game that we're leading and just let him run. Because if there's one thing Jordan Morris has made a name for himself for this U.S. team for so long is that when he's out on that pitch, he cares a whole lot. Which I think, you know, sometimes you can yes, say... Does. There's disinterested members of this group. You know, we remember a couple of years ago when Alexi Lalas went on that famous rant about them being selfish, overpaid millionaires. I still think there's some of that is true, even with this group. They're just more talented. But Jordan Morris is a guy, every time he puts on that shirt and steps out onto that field, he gives 110%, presses like a maniac. And, you know, when he has a chance to score, he oftentimes does so for the red, white, and the blue. So him over Paul Areola, I'm fine with. Pulisic, Reyna, and Timothy Weah, I think them with Aronson were always going to be your strikers. It's going to be interesting to see with, you know, those are three really, really good strikers. It's probably going to be Pulisic, Reyna to start with Timmy Weah coming off the bench. I really think Aronson and Weah both deserve a chance to play in this World Cup, and they will. I Again, reiterating what we said about the midfield, Reyna should be in the midfield group. I think he, as good as Aronson looked against Morocco, I think Aronson is just a better winger than he is a midfielder. And, you know, maybe it's 97 versus 96 in terms of, you know, his overall rating wherever he is. But I think he is a guy that excels when he plays out wide, and we've seen it this year for Leeds. Then we get to the strikers, and this is when the, you know, Shaq Moores, Christian Roldan's real... Start to make way less way less sense. Because, and I'm going back to this thing Greg Berhalter said, because Taylor Twelman asked him, and credit to Taylor Twelman for asking it, he said... How close was Jordan Peefock getting selected? He's like, you know, when we look at this thing, you know, we we see Haji Wright just in really good form, and that's kind of what cemented it. As if Pepe isn't turning his entire European career around. I can't pronounce the club name because Gronigan. Gronigan. Yeah, from from the Eredivisie, and then Peefock with Union Berlin, one of the top goal scorers in the Bundesliga. He cites form for Haji Wright, which is fine because Haji Wright is in the form of his life, and he has proven himself with the way he's been playing in the Turkish League this year, to be on this plane. Jesus Ferreira, as good as he was for FC Dallas this year, you know, had a breakout season. He has been terrible for the United States men's national team since his debut. And I really am just disgusted. And Josh Sargent deserves to be there. Between his form in Norwich, and he was always kind of heralded as this guy, he is a good striker. Will he perform like a good striker? I don't know, but he definitely needs to be there. I think Pepe and Pfock both deserve to be on that plane, though, because we can say Pepe saved Burhalter his job, which is 100% accurate. But also, the way this national program treated Ricardo Pepe is actually disgusting, and it really does bother me because he had a, came out of the gates, was incredible, probably did save Greg Burhalter from getting sacked, around this time last year, and what do they do? 
as soon as he stumbles in form, you know, he makes the move to Augsburg, doesn't really hit his stride in Germany because there's a huge gap going from the MLS to playing in Europe. They just throw him away and they pick up the new shiny new toy that is Jesus Ferreira. And he he's, might, only, he's only he's only playing striker because Pepe moved on to, to yeah, Augsburg. Right. So I, I, I'm really true. I'm really am disgusted at the way they've discarded Ricardo <laughs> Pepe. And there's a chance and I'm I think Haji Wright starts the first game against Wales. I think in Greg Berhalter's mind, it goes Haji Wright, Jesus Ferreira, Josh Sargent as his three strikers. Because I he for some reason he loves Jesus Ferreira, and we saw it, you know, in the last. I just remember in that last World Cup qualifying, you know, match week, how bad Jesus Ferreira looked, and he has just not gotten out of that. And you know. Again, as good as he's looked for FC Dallas, when he's played international opponents, he's looked terrible. So I don't think he should have made, he should not have been on this plane. I think I'm going to start with the Jordan Morris over Ariola thing. For me, if I if we're losing a game late and I need and we need somebody in the box, we're going to be sending crosses into the box. We need somebody to discord a set scrappy pieces. goal off a set piece, something like that. Jordan Morris can do that a lot better than Paul Ariola. Yes. I think the main reason why people are a little bit shocked that Ariola isn't on this roster is because when's the last time we've had all of our wingers fit and healthy? Never. No, that Never. is that is that that's is the reason the why our, takeaway. That's the really the only reason why Ariola is not on this roster is because Tim Way is healthy, Gio Rain is healthy, Christian Pulisic's healthy, knock Brendan on, Aronson. Dude, come on. The fact knock on wood. They're all healthy. We haven't seen that in a very long time. Almost that's never. why we've Almost seen Way start a bunch when when Rain is injured. We've seen Rain start when Way is injured. We've seen all these different combinations. We've seen Ariola when there's two of them injured. That's the main reason why Paul Ariola is not in this squad, just because we have a healthy group of what Greg considers to be wingers. So Jordan Morris has battled back from two ACL injuries. I think he he deserves to be there, and I think he'll make more of an impact than Paul Ariola would would have. I mean, if, if I think if any one of these players are injured, Paul Ariola is the, the the next guy up, which is pretty obvious. But in terms of the strikers. I do have I have a quite a gripe with not bringing Ricardo Pepe. Um at age, you know, 18, he scores in World Cup qualifying against that Honduras game on the road when vibes are low. He scores the, we're down a goal in the second half. He scores, we're back he gets us back in the game. He re-energizes us. And then he scores two against against Jamaica. Um and he's just a big part of what we're doing in, in that fall part of that cycle. And he's in great form in FC Dallas. There's all sorts of rumors about him going to to Europe and replying his trade. So he does that. He goes to Augsburg. He takes a leap in his career. And it doesn't work out. So then he, he doesn't get called into a couple camps when he's not playing well at Augsburg. He sees the World Cup coming and and takes it upon himself to, to get playing time. And he, he make, takes a step down to get playing time, to get his form underneath him. Five goals to and start, eight appearances. To start scoring goals, to do whatever he can to get back into the squad. And he does exactly that. He scores. He, he looks like the old Ricardo Pepe. He scored against some big-time opposition, too, in the Eredivisie. And he's rewarded for his efforts, for for you know saving Greg Berhalter's job, you know, struggling, being a young teenager in Europe, going through it, and then bouncing back and... And getting back into great form, he's rewarded with not being on the roster. To me, it just it just rubs me the wrong way how you can bring in a guy like that and how he can make such an impact and then get back to that level and then leave him off. It's also the fact that, like I said earlier, Jesus Ferreira 
is the FC Dallas starting striker not playing a little bit further back because Ricardo Pepe moved on? That's that's a lot of the reason why Jesus Ferreira is, is starting up top. I mean, Jesus was playing further back when, when, when Pepe was there. And it's just interesting to me that, that Pepe challenged himself in his career and, and took a leap, and it seems like he's being punished for it. I have no gripes against really... Haji Wright being on the roster. Jesus Ferrer was always going to be there, so I can't really get mad at that. I think Josh Sargent also deserves to be there. I think we just have a lot of strikers who are really close to each other in terms of ability and also in terms of form. Someone was going to be unhappy, and I think it just it, it, it happened to be Ricardo Pepe. To me, PFOC was a little bit further away, but Pepe's, Pepe's the egregious one. And before we get into R26, because James, I, I know you got class coming up. <laughs> The one thing I will say is... This is more important than class. <laughs> the the one thing that really bothered me is Burhalter's explanations. For Sargent, he was saying that he shown he can be effective in a you know very physical league in the championship, which, I mean, is true, but realistically, and this gets into Jesus Ferreira too, and maybe you can even extend it to Christian Roldan. He says Ferreira is there because he understands the team's game model, which only you really give a damn about is if he's going to see the field, which suggests to me that he is. And leaving Ricardo Pepe off is just really ignorant to the growth that he's had. And, it, you know, he talks about Haji Wright, you know, being the leading scorer in the Turkish league. And Burhalter talked about how, you know, let's not forget that Belgian's starting striker, Miki Batshuayi, also plays in the Turkish league and only has four goals to Haji Wright's eight. And Burhalter said something effective in uh, Batshuayi plays for a better team so what does that tell you about Haji Wright it tells you absolutely nothing about Haji Wright you can't, com- <laughs> you can't compare how Haji Wright plays in his system to how Miki Batshuayi plays in his system and you know what when Haji Wright plays for a team like Chelsea plays for a team like Dortmund plays like for a team like Valencia all of which Miki Batshuayi has then you can make those comments but you can't make them now so I think as we went through this l- roster <clears throat> it all comes back down to at least for me there are certain people that Greg Burhalter thinks he cannot live without, and that you know comes at a price of leaving certain guys off the roster. And you know it's a difficult situation, but with 26 spots, so we get into our own 26. And I'll let you kick that off, James, because I need to cool down. All right. But as you got tw- you got three extra spots, you have to make you have to fill those with impact players. Every other country in the world that has the depth that the United States does, and it's crazy to say that we have depth, but there are guys that got left off that who can impact a game 10 times more than guys that were included. Yeah, and, you know, let to, to end before we get into our own opinions on a positive, um, 20 to 22 of these guys that are on here belong here, and those are going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, those are going to be the bulk of the guys who are going to be playing the bulk of the minutes and are going to be the important players for this team. But with that said, guys 23 through 26 are still important. They're there for a reason, and we... Would like to see a little bit more of that. One thing I will say about specific player, Tim Weah um, is a guy that I think no one no one else in this player pool has a profile like him. And I think he's a guy that ideally you'd like to have start. But if your wingers are Pulisic and Reyna, Weah and Aronson are probably both going to be on the bench to start. So that's that's a good problem to have for the U.S., the fact that you Play could, Pulisic at the nine, Greg. I'm saying here's what I'm gonna say. He mentioned last night that Tim Way is a guy who is good getting in behind, who is, can play really quick, but also has skill and can use that skill on any of the front three positions where he's a true winger. He said, but he can also play as a striker. That is the fact that he's he said that. I don't think it's gonna happen, but I 
maybe if in the group in the third game of the group stage when we're really struggling and we need we need a win to get out and we're you know we're nil nil against Iran or something and we need a goal uh, late. I could see us playing with a midfield and front three combined of Adams, Musa, McKenny, Reyna, Pulisic, Weah as your nine, and then Aronson as your impact sub. To me, that is pretty that's pretty impressive. So while we can be a little bit negative sometimes, let's not forget what we have. Um, we have maybe one of the best generations in U.S. soccer history. So I'm going to kick off Keenan. I'm going to let you go first with your 26. Do you want to start her off? Yeah. <clears throat> and, then, and then after this, we're all going to do an 11 real quick. Yep. Um, three goalies. I'm going with what was selected by Greg, Horvath, Turner, and Johnson. Defense, Robinson, Ream, Zimmerman, Brooks, Long, Dest, Scally, Cannon. Midfield, McKinney, Acosta, Reyna, Musa, Adams, De La Torre, Aronson. I'm putting Aronson in there even though he can be flexed somewhere else. Up front, Wea, Pulisic, Pifak, Sargent, Pepe, Wright, Morris. I only have 25. I didn't know who to put in for my 26 spot because I really don't think anyone that I didn't name deserves it. Maybe... Maybe Malik Tillman should be in there. I'll 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 put Malik Tillman in there too. He can be. He should be realistically looking back at this list like twenty three maybe. But Malik Tillman's also in my side. Okay, the goalkeepers for me. I'm gonna take. I would take Zach Steffen. I still would. I still think he's got a. Be, he's he's a better all around goalkeeper than Ethan Orvath. I'm taking Turner, Johnson, and Zach Steffen as my three goalies. In defense, the only change I'm making is I'm. Just dropping Shaq Moore and not replacing with anybody. I'm doing Yedlin, Reem, Zimmerman, Long, Robinson, Dest, Carter, Vickers, Scally. I think that's enough cover in enough positions that you don't that you can use Shaq Moore's position for some some place else on the pitch with more impact. Midfield: Acosta, McKenney, Adams. Instead of Roldan, I'm going Malik Tillman, Brandon Aronson, Yunus Musa, Luca De La Torre. And then up front is where I'm going to use that extra roster spot. I'm going to do Pulisic, Morris, Wea. Sargent, Ferreira, Reyna. I'm going to still take Haji Wright, but I'm also going to take Ricardo Pepe. He's going to be my last one. So I'm essentially, it's similar to Greg's, but I'm adding Malik Tillman, dropping Christian Roldan, and I'm getting rid of Shaq Moore and adding Ricardo Pepe, who I really think deserves to be there. Paul Ariola still misses out just because I think with all the healthy wingers we have, I just don't think there's space for him. All right. Well, I have 27 names written down, and 25, 26, and 27 could all be interchanged. So. My, my my keepers, I have Turner, Stefan, and Horvath. I mean, for me, Turner's the number one, but I, I feel like you want three guys who can push each other to be at their best. I think those are our best three keepers. I know in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was a bit of an issue with Casey Keller and Brad Friedel and that little struggle for power that they had. Uh, maybe maybe that's what Bearhalter was trying to avoid, bringing Stefan in. And, you know, that maybe that's a good coaching decision that will pay off. I think you just bring your, be- your best three keepers. Uh, across the back, uh, Dest, Yedlin... Robinson, Scally, and Reggie Cannon. I'm going to bring him in as a fullback because I think a three in the back is something that the U.S. should consider. And Cannon is a guy who, if someone goes down at fullback, he can cover. If someone goes down at center back, he can cover. Then my other, my four center backs besides Cannon, Reem, Zimmerman, Long, and Carter Vickers into the midfield. Yeah, so I, I agree with you. I think you drop Shaq Moore. Other than that, I think he got the defense mostly right. Uh, in the middle... Tyler Adams, Kellen Acosta, your sixes, uh, Musa and De La Torre are your eights, 
And then your 10s, Reyna, McKenney, and I'm going to go Malik Tillman. And then up front, your wingers, Pulisic, Aronson, Weah, and Morris. And then your strikers. Um, this was tough. I think the 26th spot for me, it's either going to be Red, that Reggie Cannon or Jesus Ferreira because I, I'm not convinced by him. And my, my three strikers besides Ferreira are Pepe, Sargent, and Pifak. Um, I think Pifak plays the role that Wright does. I think Pepe plays the role that Ferreira does but actually scores goals. And I think Sargent is your guy off the bench. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm, you know what? I'll take Ferreira as the fourth striker just because I think he fits Greg's system the best out of all these four profiles. And Cannon may not have to be there, or Tillman may not have to be there. It's one of those three doesn't go. But other than that, my other 25 are set in stone. Starting 11, I think we all agree Turner and Net, right? Yeah. And, and, and I just want to echo the point. I think we all had 24 or 25 of the same guys. Yeah. So even, even though that like Tillman and Pepe and Stefan aren't there, like, the bulk of the team stays the same, and the guys that are on the fence and off the fence, really, only in the case of Roldan am I worried that his presence is going to be an issue Ferreira. for guys That's that couldn't me. be there. And Ferreira was always going to be there, though. You know, like, Fer- Ferreira didn't take anybody's spot. If Ferreira weren't off, were off the team, it would be because someone took his. So, I like, Ferreira, we could just be barking up the same tree. Like, he's going to play whether we like it or not. Yeah. Starting, starting 11, 11 who whenever wants to, you're, whenever you're I think ready. everybody agrees Turner and Net Turner and Net okay I'll just go through my 11 executive decision Turner do it yep. Anthony Robinson left back yep. Zimmerman, Zimmerman long center backs yep. right back Junior Dest CDM Tyler Adams in front of him Weston McKenney and Eunice Musa Christian Pulisic on the left Josh Sargent up top and on the right Gio Reyna to start I, I, I when I look at that the glaring omission to me is Timmy Way needs to be involved in some way. That could be off the bench or starting. It's just we've never had all the people who we play as wingers all healthy. And it, and it, it, it's it's a really when, – when you play the Adams, McKenney, Musa midfield and you don't move Aronson or Reyna down there, it, it gets crowded. That's that's the one issue. But I would start Pulisic and Reyna, and then Way and Aronson can make impacts off the bench. I I'm pretty much agree. I think we all agree that that midfield trio is – needing a guy like a Gio Reyna or a Brennan Aronson. And I think, you know, if I'm allowed to pivot, James, unless you got any final thoughts on those eleven, I think we all agree. I'm I'm gonna I was just gonna you do you have your own eleven that you wanted to read out? Because yeah. I have my own. Yeah, so yeah, so go ahead. T- oh, Turner, Annette, yeah. Robinson, Long, I know, shocker. Me finally Whoa. ponying up for Aaron Long. But I think Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman are the two that Greg wants and I think they've had the most experience playing alongside one another. Yeah. Serginho Des on the right. Midfield, you go Adams, Musa, Reyna. No Weston. I think Weston needs to sit. I think keep, he go- keep going, Keenan. Keep going. Keep going. I think Sargent as your nine, Timmy Weah, Christian Pulisic. Oh, we were so close. So close to Ar- having the exact same. Aronson, Aronson is a toss up to get in there. I, I I have I have the same thing except for my striker. Turner. Dest, Zimmerman. I mean, I wrote Reem, but I know it's going to be long, and I think long complements Zimmerman better. But yeah. Reem, Reem truly is. Reem is going to be, I really think he's going to have a really he's good the impact. smartest defender we have. He's going to be a good impact second half center back. I, I expect Aaron Long, if Aaron Long to start, to make way for Tim Reem if the United States has a lead against Wales. The, the, the problem is, I'm pretty sure Long and Reem have played together more than Zimmerman and Reem have played together. The, oh, interchangeably. And, and, I, and I think Long and Reem maybe, maybe actually complement each other better than Zimmerman and, and Reem would, but I don't think that's gonna happen so I think Zimmerman and Long is gonna be the center backs Robinson left back Adams Musa Reyna is my central midfield 
Weah and Pulisic are my wingers, and Ricardo Pepe would be my striker. I don't think I see a world where a healthy West McKenney doesn't start for Greg. I, I'm not at least. I'm but not for you guys, agree. yeah, I agree. I for for me though, he's if, arrogant. That's my one problem with him. He is out. Th- he is out to lunch when he plays. It's for for me. It's not. It's not about an attitude issue. I think though. In terms of creating chances and, and doing our best at, at potentially scoring goals, this is your midfield trio, and Wesson McKinney off the bench is going to bring an element that other teams are not going to be able to deal with, especially since you also have a guy like Aronson off the bench. Or, you know, if I know Pepe's not actually going to be there, I, then I, if not for Pepe, then I would start Sargent. Then you could bring a guy like Haji right off the bench who has that aerial presence who, you know, is he's and he's quite good at doing these things. So I for me, McKinney off the coming as a bench player sub in the 60, 65th minute would provide a lot. I understand that he's definitely going to start and he's definitely going to play in that midfield role. And and he can do, and he's going to do a fine job doing that across the first half and first 60 minutes of play. But for me, I, I think Reyna, if you give Reyna the bulk of the minutes in that midfield over McKenney in that attacking role, you're going to get more chances created. And you're going to have a better chance of scoring goals. But McKinney off the bench, it adds a different element, aerial ability, um, can hold up the ball and can play possession better than probably Reyna can in terms of just keeping the ball in central midfield. Reyna does definitely better at pulling strings and breaking lines and finding players in good areas. So I, they bring they bring different strengths. I think Reyna is definitely the better player and def- definitely better at creating. But when McKenney comes off the bench, that could be a, an, an additional dagger that teams may not be able to deal with. But, you know, the point is moot because he's definitely going to start. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just... In my mind, the eleven that I'm choosing is like a hybrid between what Gray's going to choose and what yeah, I want. Yeah, yeah. So I think McKenny's McKenny's in there. I think I think I think what we what Greg's starting eleven is going to be is going to be Turner, Des, Zimmerman, Long, Robinson, Adams, Musa, McKenny, Pulisic, Reyna, Ferreira. I think that's what he's going to do, and I wouldn't. I'm not. I'm not upset with it. I I don't like the fact that I don't like Hayes, that it's Jesus Ferreira. But I think game one, I can just see him just totally I, fluffing a big chance. That and he, a la Chris Wondolowski. Yeah, and I know the center backs are vulnerable, but as far as a strong team, that's that's nine for eleven, the strongest team we can put out there. And knowing knowing Greg Berhalter, that's going to draw the ire of Twitter. You know, everyone's going to be mad at him. But can you imagine if uh, the Twitter U.S. soccer landscape existed in 2014? When Landon Donovan was left off the squad, the like we we are somewhat fortunate to have Greg Bearhalter and not Jurgen Klinsmann around. You know, like I'm not a big fan of Greg. That's clear, but I'm not a big fan of a lot of the other recent U.S. men's managers. And we're going to be marching into Qatar on the 21st to play Wales. And like it or lump it, these are our 26 guys. Greg Bearhalter is our manager, and we got to support our boys as they go in and try to represent us on the world's greatest stage, albeit in a country that does not give its people its own human rights. We're going to call it out. FUVFC condemns FIFA's decision to put the World Cup in Qatar. I'll say that on camera. I think they're going to move it. Are they going to move it? <laughs> I think this me? is the... I didn't... St- you hear I that, sl- Set Blatter? You hear that, Infantino? We're coming for you. Uh, before right? before we break, and I know, James, again, we're pushing your class meeting. In That's fine. I don't, I don't care about it. Where is it? What's the uh, It's in Freeman. Okay, so you're close. Um, the only thing is, is I think we got to ask each other because we have been since this podcast started, at least for me, since you guys jumped on last fall, we've been really critical of Greg Berhalter. Do we think he's he can get this done? Because it seemed like you know we talked about Ricardo Pepe say, saving his job at a point, but it always was the oscillating Greg Berhalter of 
Losing three games in a row, looking terrible. Go beating the absolute crap out of Honduras. His job is saved. You know, looking really bad in qualifying, going winning a gold cup. His job is saved. He has been Mr. Jekyll and Dr. Hyde this entire... Or is it Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? I don't know. Who gets what title? That I, think, has, I think it's that. <laughs> but he has been topsy-turvy as a manager, and I think that's the last thing we need to talk about before we talk you know, next week probably about the rest of the World Cup field is can Greg Berhalter get this done for the U.S.? Can he get them to out of the group? Because that's success for this young U.S. team. What do, what do you think, Keenan? before we answer? I want to know what you think about this. Can, can Greg do it? Greg can't do it. His players can. That's fair. I, I think he, he has the ability to, to, to – we've seen him make correct coaching decisions before, correct tactical decisions, setting the team up to win. Oh, I had one more Whether question. that's going to happen, I don't know. I really hope it does. But I think even if Greg puts us in a position where we're not, we can't succeed, I think we have enough individual talent that somebody can ball out, two people can ball out, and carry us through. For, for me, when this U.S. team has its backs against the walls under Greg Berhalter, it's, been, it's when they're at their best. You know, coming at home, needing a win against Mexico in World Cup qualifying, Dos Acero, our most complete performance. In the Nations League final, we go down what looks like 2-0, Hector Moreno's offsides, 1-0, oh, we have a chance in this game. Reina scores, we go on to win that 3-2 in a gutsy way, and extra time. Back against the wall, Bearhalter gets it done. Again, in the Gold Cup, extra time, Miles Robinson scores, back against the wall, this U.S. team gets it done. On the big stage, this team under Greg Bearhalter, it looks like they're buying what he's selling. Even if, you know, tactically they might not buy it, culturally, I find that these players like to play for Greg Bearhalter. They want to win for him, and they want to win for each other. For me, if you had asked me three weeks ago after the Japan and Saudi Arabia game, I would have thought too tactically and not emotionally enough because the World Cup is an emotional affair. For me, I would have said this team is not good enough to beat the likes of the teams in its group. But now that I'm thinking about it and looking at the players we have, knowing what they can do in a, in a tournament-style game when everyone's committed to the same goal and everyone wants to play, I think this team can get out of this group, and I think Greg Bearhalter can get the best out of these guys, whoever of the 26 he puts on the pitch, because I think 25 of these guys are going to be playing in this World Cup for the first time. And I don't think anyone's going to take this opportunity lightly. I think everyone's going to be committed to the cause, and we've seen that happen with our backs against the wall before. It's in our blood. It's in our nature as a U.S. men's national team. We're a tournament team, and we're going to go, and we're going to surprise a few people, and I think we're going to get out of the group in Qatar. The last thing I was going to say that I remembered as Nick was speaking is Greg has surprised us in the past with roster decisions, and I think if I can trust Greg Berhalter for one thing, one of you said it really early in the show that he has his lineups picked out for all three matches. I don't think so. I think there are guys obviously cemented in. I think those midfield three are cemented in, whether we like it or not. But I really don't think he has any clue. I mean, he probably does have a clue. Like, Pulisic's a guaranteed lock. I think you could see Weah, Reyna, or Aronson starting out wide. Any of those three striker spots are really up for grabs. And then also Gio Reyna can slide in pretty much anywhere else. So I really think, you know, what credits a success for this? The thing that I'm looking forward to most, you know, obviously getting out of the group, I'm looking for Burhalter to coach with guts to make, you know, Really hard tactical substitutions might be leaving out a Weston McKenney from a starting 11, you know, or forcing Christian Pulisic to play in the nine or subbing him out for the likes of Brendan Aronson when you see that there's a matchup that you can maybe exploit. That's going to be a win for me outside of getting out of the group is for Greg Burhalter to, 
you know, for once in his godforsaken career as U.S. men's national team coach, to coach with some guts and make smart tactical decisions to give this team a chance of winning. Well, I mean, I think you said it all, Nick. Any any final thoughts? I just hope it goes well. I've been waiting for this for eight years. Come on, Greg. Just just set the team up in a way that they can succeed and don't make me angry. That's it. November 21st, 2 p.m., U.S.-Wales. We Keenan, were- close us out. Well, boys, I think next week we come back and we break down everyone else's rosters. You know, not as in-depth because, let's be honest, we don't care as much as we do, but this has been the longest episode of any podcast that I've ever been on. Had a ton of fun. Big shout-out to Gino behind the glass. Total, total beast. Nick, James, we've waited eight years to record this podcast, whether we knew it or we didn't. My entire life is leading to this moment. Doggarnet, it feels good. We go in a week and a half. Qatar, you don't know what's coming for you. Take care, everybody. See you next week.